think that's kind of like the beauty of the early stages of dating. It's a good time to kind of look out for like, how does the person you're dating respond to stress? How does the person that you're dating respond to conflict? When you notice them in those situations, you can have an idea for what is it going to look like when we're 10 years into a marriage. gang. Welcome back to the Girl We Grow Now podcast. I am your host, Victoria, and I'm so happy you are here. If you are looking for tips, advice, and or inspiration, then you are in the right place. This podcast was created to help you navigate life and live your most fulfilled and authentic life. So today we are rounding out our relationship series with a guest episode with Nina Sanyal. So Nina has been on the podcast before. At this point, she is my resident therapist guest. I love our conversations so much. On this episode, we will talk all about attachment styles and the importance of knowing yours and your partners, the keys to effective communication, building trust, especially after experiencing broken trust in previous relationships, and really just everything about how you can really foster a healthy relationship relationship with your partner and just to really make sure that you can show up as the best partner. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the conversation with Nina. Welcome, Nina. I'm so excited to have you on again. I'm so excited to be here again. This is round three, I think. I know, right? I feel like you're just like the resident guest not here. It's because I just I love, love <laughs> yes, I like love talking to you. I feel like we can literally talk for hours. <laughs> yes, I know. I feel like we've gone pretty long before, so. <laughs> we have, we have. <laughs> All right. Nina, can you just give everyone a little intro and like background on what you do? Yes. So I am a therapist in the most layman's terms, but I'm a licensed associate counselor and I practice in the state of Arizona. And so I'm kind of just like your classic talk therapist. I love working with couples and I love doing relationship work, which is kind of like what we tend to talk about in our episodes. But other than that, I see individuals and I love specifically working with women and women of color and being able to help develop um, into their best possible selves. So, yeah. Yes, is- I love that. And I do love like that is what we talk about. I love talking about relationships with you and all the things. So I'm excited to get into our episode. But before I have to ask you, icebreaker, it's my thing. And I have a new icebreaker for this year. <laughs> Alrighty, let's hear it. So what is your 2024 mantra or focus word that you are using? to help you live your most fulfilled life this year? I would say probably more of a word. I think balance is probably a good one for this year. I feel like that's what I'm going to focus on. We'll see how it goes. Since we're still pretty early in 2024, but I feel like balance is always something that I've struggled with, both in like my personal life as well as like my work life. And so this year I want to try to see it doesn't have to be perfectly equal, but just finding the right mix that works for me at different times. So yeah, that's going to be my thing this year, I think. I like that. And it's so important. I don't know. I feel like as we get older, we really can lack balance because we can get so focused on work and we just forget that like life is meant to be lived as well. And it's not all just like work and doing right. all the necessary things, but also just adding joy into our day. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> okay. So I want to dive right into attachment styles. I find mm-hmm. them so, so interesting and nuanced. So can you give us a little rundown on the different attachment styles for those who don't know? Yes. 
So attachment styles in their most like basic form, there's four different types. The first is our golden child, secure attachment. That's where we all want to be, what we all want to work towards. And people who are securely attached are comfortable with both closeness as well as being alone. They're pretty easy to get along with. They trust other people and they're pretty comfortable expressing their feelings. So that's really what we want to try to work towards in our relationships. The other three styles are categorized as insecure attachment styles. And the first is anxious attachment. Sometimes you'll hear this referred to as anxious preoccupied attachment, but for the most part, I just call it anxious attachment. People who are anxiously attached, they tend to seek a lot of closeness and reassurance and approval, but that's sort of tends to lead to worrying about their relationships a lot. And sometimes they can be clingy. And reassurance is normal, but people with anxious attachment tend to need more of that constant reassurance. So it's kind of like some of the things you'll notice. The third style is called the avoidant attachment style. Um, Sometimes you'll hear about it referred to as dismissive avoidant. But people with avoidant attachment, they tend to be on the other end of the spectrum. They avoid emotional intimacy and they really, really value independence, but sometimes to a fault. So this ends up manifesting in relationships as someone who may seem distant, someone who may avoid like super emotional conversations, and they really tend to prioritize being self-sufficient. Do they tend to be people who stay single or they kind of prefer to be single or does it just depend? I think... Out of all of our styles, you're most, you're more likely to see that with people who are avoidantly attached. It's not like there's tons of avoidantly attached people who are in relationships, but yes, these are the people that tend to be more of the lone wolves. So they're like, I don't need anyone. So they do end up in relationships, but if they're not like working on healing in some way or they're not aware of those tendencies, then yes, you're going to probably be a little bit more single. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the last style is the disorganized attachment style. Sometimes this one is referred to as fearful avoidance. So you'll hear that a lot too. The best way to describe disorganized attachment is these are my push pullers. Um, they want closeness. They crave intimacy, but at the same time, they have a deep fear of getting hurt and they tend to struggle with trust. So lots of like emotional ups and downs and feeling conflicted about relationships will pop up here. Yeah, I feel like attachment styles and really knowing our attachment styles are really important. That's something I've learned as I've gone older. So how do attachment styles influence the dynamics of our dating relationships? And what role do they play in the early stages of building a connection with someone? I would say they play a huge role. And I think you make a good point. I think if we have a good understanding of our individual attachment styles, you probably have a better shot of being able to develop a healthier relationship. For example, like people who are securely attached, right? They tend to have stable and positive relationship dynamics, especially two secure people together. That's like the dream, right? <laughs> they, they're more likely to communicate openly. They're more likely to try to create a sense of safety in their relationships. So those early stages tend to be a little bit easier for them. It's not as chaotic. Whereas your classic anxiously attached individual might be more emotionally intense in the early stages. These are our friends who are more likely to be like, he's not texting me back, you know, and Mm -hmm. in those early stages, that can be a lot that can be too much. Sometimes the avoidantly attached in early stages, they might be more reserved, they might be more hesitant to build those strong emotional connections. 
sometimes this will lead to like downplaying the importance of the relationship if an avoidant and an anxious find themselves together, which they often do. You can see how that dynamic might end up being a bit of a struggle. So like fearful avoidant or the, the disorganized type, something you'll see often in early stages with them is the mixed signals. And that can be really hard, right? So in the beginning, it's like, oh, super hot and heavy, super passionate. And then all of a sudden, it's like you're not hearing from them. So that can create a lot of uncertainty in the relationship. So when you're in those early phases of dating, that's exactly what can make it feel really hard. You probably don't want that. And so having an understanding of what your attachment style is, and then if you can, having an understanding of what your partner's attachment style is, Mm. it may help you to navigate those early bumps. For the record, like securely attached people aren't the only people who can have healthy relationships. They just have an easier time. So if you have like a semblance of awareness about your attachment style, you can keep that in mind as you're trying to work through those early stages or those early challenges. That makes sense. There are people who are naturally securely attached because I know that we can become securely attached if we're anxious or avoidant. But are there people who are just always securely attachment styles? Yes. Oh, annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Is that rare, though? So research shows and again, this is like these are the numbers that are out there. I want to say it's about they say it's about 50 to 60 percent of people are securely attached. And they say about like 40 to 50 are insecurely attached, I believe. I think that the last time I checked, that's what the numbers showed. But I don't know. I would say something that I always say when I when I do attachment work with my clients is I'll have them take like an attachment quiz. And there's a really great one by Diane Poolheller. That's the one that I always give. And if you Google Diane Poolheller attachment quiz, it'll pop up. And the reason why I like to give that one is because it gives you your results in a pie chart instead of just being like you're secure or you're avoidant or whatever. It'll give you like you're 45% secure, 25% this, 10% that, right? And when I have clients that come back and they're like, oh, I scored as securely attached. I'm like, that's awesome. What's your next biggest one? (laughs) Because when we are at our best, when we're most emotionally healthy, when we're really focusing on personal growth, yeah, perhaps we do exhibit more of those secure attachment sort of traits. But if you're having, if you're at your worst, you're probably going to be exhibiting signs of like, what's the next one? So if you show up as avoidantly attached as your second piece, it's just something to keep in mind. So to answer your question, yes, there are lots of people who are securely attached because they have caregivers who modeled secure attachment with them. They have caregivers who are able to create strong emotional safety and all that good stuff. But if you are securely attached, it is still helpful to look at what's the next what's the next one that shows up for me so that you can keep in mind like, oh, well, if I'm super stressed out, am I more likely to be the person that is like texting my partner all the time because I need that reassurance? So it's worth it to look at it from that perspective too. That makes so much sense. And I'm going to make sure that I link that attachment style quiz in the show notes yeah. so people can take that because I want to say, I feel like I took it last year, but at this moment, I cannot remember what I am. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it is helpful to know. And do you have any tips on how you can navigate that conversation with your partner or is it kind of like something like do you suggest that people talk about it in relationships oh yeah absolutely yes 100 percent. i'm straight up like here take this quiz (laughs) um no but if you're well versed in attachment or even like if you listen to this episode you can get like a good understanding of like perhaps what someone is don't go out there self-diagnosing people right but at the same time yes like have a conversation with your partner about like their tendencies ask them to take the quiz see what comes up and you can most likely get like a good sense especially if you've been dating someone for a while, like what are their habits? And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it today, but like, we'll talk a little bit about 
common traits yes. <laughs> with each attachment style. And so I think it's a really helpful thing to know when you are dating because not only just for yourself, but your partner as well, because that'll give you an idea. It helps you kind of build more empathy, build more understanding mm-hmm. for them, see where they're coming from. For example, if you're dating someone that's avoidantly attached and they don't text you back a million times a day, you know, it could still hurt your feelings, right? You might still be sad about it, but you can be like, okay, I know that this is kind of just them. And then that can lead to a conversation. Hey, I need more communication from you, or I would like to be able to do more check-ins or whatever. So having that understanding can then lead you toward coming up with some sort of a solution. Even when I think about the attachment styles, I do people ever feel like they're in between? Like I feel like I definitely am more of the avoidant. If I had to like choose one, but I guess maybe the in-between would be like maybe if you're fluctuating between secure and avoidant or secure and anxious. Like, I don't know if that's what that means or if you ever have that conversation with some of your clients. Yeah, I think a lot of people will say, you know, like, I don't necessarily feel like I specifically fall into one. But typically, yes, you are. Most people are not like going back and forth between attachment styles. You you usually just have one and then you want to work that towards secure. Does that mean that you never do things that, you know, are maybe part of another attachment style? No, but you typically only have one insecure attachment style and you can kind of move that towards secure. But okay. you're probably not going to be anxious one day and avoidant the next day. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So can you share insights on how people with different attachment styles can navigate challenges in building and maintaining those healthy relationships? Yeah. Kind of like we've been talking about right now, I would say the first thing, even though everyone says this all the time, communication really is going to be key there when it comes to navigating challenges in your relationships, especially with regard to attachment. So with people who are securely attached, be be honest. Well, I guess like everyone, be open and honest about like what you need, how you're feeling, when you need reassurance, when you need support. For example, with like anxiously attached people, you can be like, hey, I, I need reassurance, right? Everyone needs reassurance. But if you have that sort of insight that, okay, I know I'm anxiously attached, you can try to manage that and not overwhelm your partner with your need for reassurance. Similarly with like avoidantly attached people, if you know I'm avoidantly attached, you can try to communicate that to your partner. Look, like I can't spend every single second of every single day with you. That feels overwhelming to me. But how can we find some time where we do get quality time together? So I would say communication, yes, is one of those. Working on boundaries, that's just like a standard good relationship tip, but having a sense of understanding and respect for your partner's boundaries are a good one. Building trust, that's always a good one too. That's just, again, all of these are like standard relationship tips, but with regards to attachment style, like trust plays a huge role in almost every attachment style. So building trust and then also practicing emotional regulation. That's going to be one regardless of attachment style, right, is making sure that you are able to soothe yourself, making sure that you are able to ask for support and be able to co-regulate with your partner when you need, share your progress with each other, and yeah, and embrace like vulnerability. Don't be scared to talk about stuff like that with your partner. That's kind of the job, I think, when you're in a relationship is being able to hold space for one another. Yeah. So have you ever come across a couple where one of them just feels like attachment styles is super woo-woo, so they're just not really trying to buy into it? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think that's where knowing the science behind it is helpful and being able to explain sort of the science behind it. This isn't something that like we just pulled out of thin air. Like there's a ton of research that backs it up and a ton of research that dates back. I think I want to say, oh gosh, I want to say it started around the 50s or the 60s. So it's like, you know, it's not like, oh, zodiac signs, which I I love a little zodiac sign. (laughs) Not showing on it, but this is like evidence based research. This is not just like something super woo woo. And so when I have 
situations like that, talking through the science behind it, and then also being like, okay, let's explore your childhood. Let's explore like mm. what was the environment like that you grew up in? Oh, huh, interesting. You had super inconsistent parenting. Hmm, interesting that you are anxiously attached because <laughs> you're exhibiting yeah. those signs now. And so not really coming from a place of like judging people or shaming them, because I do understand if you've never heard about it before, it can sound a little woo-woo, but if you can go into looking at attachment with like an open mind, then you can kind of understand like, okay, maybe there is correlation there with how I was raised and how I show up in relationships now. Yeah, I hear that. And I feel like even the fact that at least I know like in the Black community, I know therapy for a while was just like, so taboo like i've even talked to older family members and they're just like why would you need that like you know you have yeah. the fiable you have all these other things <laughs> so i think even just if they're in therapy like they're probably i feel like they're open-minded a little bit so i feel like getting right. you know that extra mile to understand attachment style hopefully wouldn't be too challenging so i can see that that's a great point yeah and you can even like highlight that you're like look you're here you're committing to the process like mm -hmm. let's go like a baby step further let's try to open up to the idea of what what attachment can look like because at the end of the day like we know for a fact that if you can do the work and if you can do attachment-based work, your relationship will get better. Like it just will. <laughs> so that's sort of what I try to emphasize to clients when they're having a tough time with it. Yeah. And then even thinking about if you have a solid relationship because you took it back to our attachment style really comes from our caregiver. So it's like mm -hmm. if you're with someone and you want to have a family with them, just knowing that if you are working towards that secure attachment style, you are going to be doing your kids a huge favor because they're going to grow up in an environment to where it's secure. So hopefully that will be theirs as well. So they can kind of of overcome those hurdles like they don't have to face those hurdles that we may have had to face totally yeah it's like do you want to do better for the next generation do you want to make your kids mm -hmm. lives a little bit easier and even when I do like parenting sort of work yes we talk about attachment a ton when I work with couples and things like that but with individuals and especially like with parents I'll be like okay like do you want to help foster secure uh, attachment for your child so that someday when they're grown up hopefully they don't have to face all the things that you've had to face so um yes. yeah that's a beautiful point so when it comes to dating what are the common patterns or behaviors associated with insecure attachment and how can one work towards healing and fostering a more secure connection oh, good question so insecure attachment you're going to fall into either anxious attachment avoidant attachment or disorganized attachment so it's kind of like what we talked about up until now, but I would say the things that you might notice with, for example, anxious attachment is you're going to notice more of that clinginess, that constant need for reassurance. With anxious attachment, you're going to notice more of that like intense need for independence to a fault sometimes. <laughs> with disorganized, most of the time, with disorganized attachment, you're going to notice sort of like the ups and downs, the hot and cold, the push pull. And if you notice yourself doing those things, like I said, you might still be more securely attached and you might just have some like anxious tendencies or avoidant tendencies. But noticing those like insecure attachment traits, it's still something you can work on even if you're technically securely attached. I would say in order to foster secure connections, self-reflection, right, is one of the biggest things you can do. If you can look at yourself and be like, yeah, maybe that is something that I do um, that doesn't necessarily help my relationships, then you can 
try to work on it. Awareness is key, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Communication, again, working on communication, whether it is with your partner, whether it's with family, whether it's with a professional like me, working on communication can help to foster those secure connections. Building self-esteem, I would say that that's a huge one, especially for anxiously attached individuals, right? Building self-esteem and self-worth will help you to, when you have like a strong base within yourself, you can then use that in your relationships. Working on trust, embracing vulnerability. That's a huge one when it comes to fostering secure connections. Vulnerability, I think, is terrifying in general. And the way that I always explain it to clients, my favorite metaphor for it is like, it's essentially you're giving someone a knife and hoping that they don't stab you with it. You have to have enough faith to give it to them. But again, like knowing that if they do stab you with it, it's not your fault. It's still on them. Vulnerability is inherently terrifying. But if you are going to have intimacy of any kind, you need to be able to be vulnerable first. So yeah, I think focusing on those will help you to kind of build up those more secure connections. So I want to unpack them a little bit. So disorganized, I know you mentioned there's that push, pull, hot, cold. So mm-hmm. is that in terms of like in the relationship in general, like one day they're like maybe a little bit more clingy or very in and the next day they're very avoidant? Is that what that means? Or is that something else? Yeah. So disorganized attachment is typically it's sort of seen as like a blend between avoidant and anxious. So they, yeah, like you said, they'll they'll desire that closeness. They really want intimacy, but that fear is getting hurt. With all insecure attachment styles, the behaviors manifest differently. But when we boil it all down, it all comes down to, I'm scared of getting hurt. I'm scared of being rejected. I'm scared of being abandoned, right? This is like a good way to think about it. If I fear being abandoned and I'm anxiously attached, my behavior is kind of going to manifest as like, I'm really scared that this person's going to leave me. I'm going to cling, 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 cling. And maybe that'll get them to stay. Whereas I can have the same fear, but I'm avoidantly attached. And so I think, okay, well, I'm really scared that this person could leave me someday. So I'm just going to not really get super deep with them in the first place, because if we're not together in the first place, then they can't leave me and they can't hurt me, right? And we can see how the thinking is skewed, regardless of which style you have, which is why it's important to look at like, what are my behaviors? And then what's the fear associated with that? And how can I build up that secure base within myself so that I know, for example, like someone who's securely attached is going to say, this person could leave me. And if they do, I will be okay because I've got my back. That's sort of the difference. Does that answer your question? It does. And just like, I'm happy that you brought up the fact that they all kind of have a different kind of fear is what it boils down to. Because I know when I talk to different people about relationships, like I know people, there's like, well, they say they don't know if they're afraid of commitment or is it the fear of getting hurt? But like, how can someone who knows they have some kind of fear, but they're not really sure like which it is because it's just really intense and they just can't like decipher like what tips would you give them just to help them kind of get down to that root fear so they can start working on it self-reflection (laughs) self-reflection i know that's a self-reflection therapy therapy is a great way to do it have a Mm -hmm. professional who can kind of guide you for example you say like fear of commitment right okay cool what does that mean let's go a little bit deeper why do we fear commitment Oh, because if I commit myself to someone, then they know that they have a sense of power over me. Okay, tell me about that. Well, if someone has a sense of power over me, then they could use that to hurt me. Okay, how would they hurt you? They could leave me. So like boiling it down to kind of see like, what is that thing that you're scared of at the like at the end of the day? What is the thing that you fear the most? I always say talk to a professional. They're going to, they've done it a million times. They know how to, but also there's like great resources online. Like if you can't, if for whatever reason, like seeing a professional isn't your thing or like if it, it is expensive, 
relationships. So like take that into consideration. But there's honestly, in this day and age, there's so much good stuff out there on the internet. And so you can do a little bit of your own research. But in order to do any of that, you have to be willing to be able to take a look at yourself, take a look at some of your behaviors, take a look at your childhood, kind of see what sort of patterns have been modeled for you. You didn't wake up one day with avoidant attachment or anxious attachment or whatever. There were years and years of something going on that led Mm. you there. So true. And I am definitely a huge advocate for therapy after I tried it. And I know we've talked about this before, but what I will say is that you really just have to find the right therapist. I know we've talked about it. I felt like my first one, it wasn't a good fit. So I don't think I really understood how impactful and powerful that therapy actually is until I found the right therapist for me. So I think that's also another thing. So if you've tried therapy before and you felt like it just didn't work or it wasn't for you, I would say just maybe even trying to find a different therapist that's more suited for what you're looking for. Totally. It's just like teachers. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, think about all the years of school that you ever had. You probably had a teacher that you were like, wow, they're really able to explain these concepts to me in a way that I understand. And then you've probably had teachers where you're like, I taught myself everything. You know, So it's okay. Therapists are human as well. And so Mm -hmm. because we're people, you're going to connect with people differently. Not every therapist is going to be able to connect with you. You're not going to be able to connect with every therapist. It's okay if it takes a little bit of time to find the right one, because once you find one that really gets you, it's life-changing. You're like, oh my gosh, how did I live all these years without you? So finding that strong connection with them is also great because it helps model what like a good relationship should look like. In like the therapeutic relationship, for example, like boundaries are a big thing, right? And Mm -hmm. so if you have someone where you have sort of like a secure attachment modeled for you or good boundaries modeled for you, then you can take that out of session and then start applying that in your relationships. So finding a good one, yeah. Yeah, that is so true. And what I will say is that we talked about self-reflection. You will have to really look like your therapist will help you look at yourself in a way that maybe you haven't been able to before because it's not going to be biased. It's not going to be like coming from like your family that's going to be a little bit biased to you. They're not going to tell you what you want to hear. Like they're going to tell you what you need to hear. So it's also being open to hearing things that you don't necessarily want to hear about yourself. Yeah. And like that's honestly a hallmark of a good therapist. Not in the early stages. You know, you're probably going to have a therapist who's trying to like develop rapport with you. But like once you have like a strong foundational relationship, like having a therapist who isn't just being a yes man, that probably means they're looking out for you. (laughs) That probably means that they're not just telling you what you want to hear. That's like a therapist green flag is someone who's willing to tell you what you need to hear. I agree because I feel like we can all probably find someone in our life for free to tell us what we want to hear. So it's like if you're paying, you want to really put that work in and like get the benefit of what you're paying for. So I totally agree. Okay. So is there such a thing? Well, I guess we kind of talked about it, but Mm -hmm. is there such a thing as being too attached to a partner? And if so, what are some things that people can do to reel it back and create space for their partner? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Being too attached to your partner can is a thing. It absolutely is. And I think understanding that being too attached can cause more strain on the relationship. That's like a good way to look at it. If you want to have a strong, healthy relationship, you want to be able to find a balance between like closeness as well as independence, right? Mm-hmm. A balance. That's our, our focus <laughs> word of the year. But yeah, so like you want you want to have closeness. Good relationships do have closeness, but good relationships also have independence. So if you find yourself leaning more towards the closeness side, ask yourself like, okay, how do I pull myself back? And like kind of stay somewhere in the middle. Encouraging individual growth is a huge part of this, right? Like, yes, you're in a relationship that's a big piece of who you are. It is not all of who you are. You're still a person on your own. And so developing a sense of independence in yourself, if you find yourself becoming 
becoming too attached or if you find yourself your emotions depend on like your partner try to ask yourself okay like again self-reflection there is helpful why is it that i'm why is it that i'm doing that why is it that my day has to be affected by how someone else is feeling so kind of reeling it in and turning inward i guess would be a good way yeah i think that's good because i know for me when i have encountered people who are a little bit more leaning they want a lot of closeness for me it is so overwhelming like i cannot be like you cannot be the main character of my life transparently i'm the main character of my life so i'm definitely on the other end of that but being someone on the other end like how can we let our because i feel like this can even happen in friendships but how can we let the other person know in a loving way like hey like we need space like you're doing too much yeah i like the way that you said it you know where you can still focus because i think people who need more of that reassurance right it's going to feel bad but it's okay to feel bad temporarily right and it's okay to kind of bring it up with whether it's like a partner or a friend like you said and focusing on like i do love you i want to be able to spend time with you i want to be able to feel close to you but spending this much time together it makes things really hard for me because then i don't get to focus on myself as much i don't get to develop myself as an individual so that is a good opportunity to build some of those communication skills and kind of look at like how can we find together time and then what can we do with our like separate time and also knowing that like good relationships when you have alone time or separate time that's awesome because then you get to come back together at the end of the day and you get to be like okay this is like what i did today what did you do today it gives you more to be able to talk about because you're growing as individual people and then being able to come together and join that together so whether it's friendships or relationships it's always good to be able to find that balance yeah then you have something to look forward to talk about because you're not with each other 24 7 so i like that right because otherwise you're just like silent all day you're like (laughs) we experienced the whole day together we don't have anything to talk about Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I want to move from attachment styles and kind of just talk about more just relationship things. So I'm going to start with talking about TikTok. So I think definitely 2023, I was on the negative dating side of TikTok. And I'm not going to lie, I felt like it was a little bit of a trauma bond. Like, oh my gosh, like I can so relate. Like this is wild. Like I know I've had bad experiences, but oh my gosh, really? And so I just, I feel like 2024, I'm just not doing that. I'm just trying to change my algorithm because I just don't think it's going to help me call in a healthy relationship. So mm-hmm. I do want to get your opinion. Like, what do you think the effect of consuming negative content like that on dating is, especially for people who are trying to manifest and call in that healthy and loving relationship? Like, what are your thoughts on that? And like, what should we do to get into a more healthy headspace when it comes to dating? <laughs> yeah. I'm like laughing because TikTok is like the worst for that. Like the Terrible. second you have a little bit of a thought where you're like, mm, is this not going well in my relationship? Boom, that's all you're going to see. Everything is reinforcing like that idea over and over again. Yeah, I mean, all social media in general, but like specifically TikTok, it runs off of an algorithm. So the more you are interacting, like you could watch one video and then you maybe you watch a second one and then that's all that your feed is going to be. And it's going to reinforce any sort of fears or insecurities that you're having. So I try to look at it like this, where it's like, okay, whatever energy and focus that you are putting into your thoughts, whatever you're putting into your feelings, that's going to influence your reality, right? And, you know, we could look at that from like a CBT perspective. We can look at that from like the law of attraction, right? But at the end of the day, the energy that we put into the way that we're thinking, the way that we're feeling is going to then create our reality. And you can see that on TikTok, like your videos are going to show up with whatever it is that you're kind of thinking, whatever you're kind of feeling. So that can end up impacting our 
have self-esteem. It can impact your emotional state, right? Especially when you're like doom scrolling and you see like a million of these videos that are all about like negative dating stuff. You're just going to feel worse. So hit that not interested button. Don't be scared of it and get rid of it. Clear it out. I'm not saying like relationships are always easy or they're always perfect and they're always good. Obviously not. But if you find yourself sort of being challenged, focus on, okay, how can I take this challenge head on as opposed to how can I just watch videos that are going to just end up making me freak out? It's going to make me feel worse. So yeah, don't be scared to change up your algorithm. Yeah. I, and I, I'm not interested. I click that button all the time when I get the videos like that. I don't want to see it. Right. Because I'm like, I actually had this conversation with one of my friends the other day because she was just telling me how just about dating and like how her dating's going and how, you know, the lady that she has an appointment with like every month, I think, has been telling her about all her bad dating stories. And so she's just like lost hope in dating. And I'm like, oh. OK, girl, you already have had bad experiences as we all have. It's like you don't need to hear her. So just let her know, like, listen, like, you know, I want the best for you. But like, I just don't want to hear this every time because I told her I was like you, especially if you do want relationship, like filling your head with all these negative experiences and losing hope on dating isn't going to help you find the kind of partner you're looking for. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe the pickings feel slim. But like I was telling her, I was like, do I need to get my other friend to send you a voice note about how she just met her man and, you know, they moved in together, all these things. And they're just like living their best lives because like <laughs> it can happen, but it usually does happen when you're not expecting it. But also you have to like keep yourself open and yeah. like, your heart like ready to receive something healthy and not just like, ugh, men just are X, Y, and Z because that's all you hear, you know? Right, so. right. And, you know, there's like a time and place. You want, Every now and then you want to commiserate, right? But like, you know, the classic saying, misery does love company. And so mm. if you can, there is a time and place for it, right? Like yes. it doesn't mean you can never be like, oh, this like really sucks. Because like dating's hard. Dating is hard. Yes. But everything is hard. Life is hard. And so if we just were like, okay, well, I'm just going to give up on everything. Like going to my job is hard. Okay, I'm never going to work <laughs> a day again. Like, no, that's not how we do things. Challenges are challenges. Dating and relationships are a huge part of life. Yes, there are hard parts. And there's also very, very beautiful parts. And so if you can look at it from a more like well-rounded perspective and, and take in like there's going to be hard days, there's going to be really awesome parts of it, then you're probably better off. And social media, whether it is the bad dating stuff or the good dating stuff, at the end of the day, it's content, right? It's being pushed to you for a specific purpose. So remember that those are snapshots, right? You might hear like an awful dating story and then find out that they're still together. So at the end of the day, like, what are you going to take away from that? So yes, like really just try to focus on the positive as much as you can. Yes. So I know we've talked about communication a bit, but how does effective communication contribute to the foundation of a strong relationship? And what are some strategies that couples can use to enhance their communication skills? Yeah. So I would say like, I mean, we talked about this earlier, but communication really is like the cornerstone when it comes to a strong relationship. And that's whether it's like a romantic, intimate relationship or just like any relationship, friendships, family relationships, right? Communication is going to transform your relationships if you can go about it, right? So with couples, when I work with couples, some of the things that I try to look for or try to instill, like we talked about before, building trust, conflict resolution skills, right? Most of us do not have a good blueprint for what healthy conflict looks like. And so then we end up replicating those patterns in our relationships and our adult relationships. So focusing on like, how can conflict be a good thing? Conflict inherently leads to intimacy. You're probably not going to be fighting about something if you don't care about something. If anything, with relationships, when you stop fighting, that means you got to foot out the door. So as long as you are fighting in a healthy, appropriate way, that means that you care. There's something that you want to be able to work on. So yeah, I would say that's a big piece of communication. And then lastly, I'd say expressing 
serving your needs and desires. And if you're going to do that, you need to be able to identify what your needs and desires are. So that's like the individual part of it. And then the communication skills part of it is like, how can I express this to my partner so that I can get those needs met? Yeah, I like that you mentioned being able to have healthy conflict. So Mm -hmm. if you can, like what, like what does that look like for us who just might not know? Emotional regulation is a big piece of this, right? With couples, well, with anyone, I would say being able to understand that when you we're fighting about something, how can you look at it where it's like us versus the problem versus you versus me? Because that ends up happening, I think, more frequently where it's like, oh, there's this problem that we're having and now I want to fight you instead of looking at the problem and being like, how can we fight this problem together? How can we come up with something that works for both of us? Healthy conflict, it's like I said earlier, like emotional regulation is a big piece of it. How can you stay calm? How can you speak calmly? How can you be respectful when you're fighting? And remember that at the end of the day, like you have to be able to work together if you're going to come up with a solution. Turning against each other isn't going to do you any good. It's going to harm the relationship. It's going to break down trust. And so if you can remember that and you can focus on keeping yourself calm, hopefully the idea is that you can work together. Yeah. Like, what about couple? Both who are on the opposite end of the spectrum, like maybe one's a little bit more fiery. They want to talk about things right away. The other one probably would rather write you a text message or something. But like, how can you like find that middle ground to where you can make it like healthy for both of you all? I think that's like to refer to something we were talking about in the beginning. That's a really good time to know each other's attachment styles, right? Mm -hmm. So if you know that about each other, if you know, hey, one of us likes to get to talking right away. One of us likes a little bit of space. One of the biggest things that I'll do with couples when this dynamic is super, super common, by the way. So when this happens, one of the things I'll say is like, how can you appropriately take space? So yes, taking space is good, especially for the person in the dynamic where they're like, hey, like I cannot have this conversation with you calmly. If you like keep pushing me, it's going to lead to dysregulation. It's going to lead to us blowing up. Taking space appropriately would look like I'm going to take a break for 10 minutes. So picking like a specific amount of time, making it an appropriate amount of time. You can't be like, I'll be back in 10 hours, but making it something, you know, and anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. Okay, I'm going to go take a break. And then when you're taking that break, intentionally like practicing self-regulation. So whatever that looks like for you to need to calm down so that you can go back and reinitiate the conversation. Mm -hmm. I always tell couples, whoever is the one that is initiating the break, also has to be the person that's going to come back and reinitiate the conversation. So you can't be like, I'm going to go calm down for 20 minutes and then an hour later you come back and act like nothing's wrong. You have to be able to have some sort of closure to whatever was happening before. Oh, I like that. Just making sure that it like comes full circle and you don't try to avoid it once you get back, hoping that maybe they have just calmed yes. down and forgotten about it. Yes, exactly. Because they definitely have not. <laughs> and it will come up, it will turn into resentment later. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. So I know we talked about trust a bit today. But how, like for someone who has maybe trust has been broken in previous relationships, what are some tips they can use to help them foster trust with future partners and not hold on to like that fear of like, look, I don't know if I should trust them if they deserve my trust and all those things? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, trust is something that you build. So that's important to keep in mind. Healthy relationships have some sort of basis of trust, right? And then you kind of like add to it as you see words and actions being followed through on. And I think going along with that consistency 
consistency, reliability in both words and actions are really important if you're going to have trust built. And if it's broken, because again, like you're not going to trust your partner 100% of the time, like forever, right? There are going to be instances you get into a fight and now you feel kind of bad and now you feel like a bit of that trust is gone. That's okay. That's natural. But making an active effort to rebuild that trust in a great way of mending it. This sounds so basic, but a lot of people don't do it. Being sincere and apologizing or making amends, working on repair when there has been some sort of a rupture. Mm, I like that. And I even just think about like what you said, a lot of people don't do it, but just the apologizing. But because I know I'm one of those people like, yes, I will accept an apology, but I also need to see some change behavior because if we go and be doing the same thing that you were just apologizing for, then no, thank you. Right, right. So are there specific red flags or warning signs that indicate a relationship might be veering into unhealthy territory? And if so, how can we address these issues early on? Yes, that's a good question. I feel like red flags can sometimes be personal where it's like it depends on you and kind of like your past experiences. I'm trying to think like generally speaking, well, okay, for example, like lack of communication, if that's like a general red flag, right? I think there's few things that are absolute deal breakers, right? And especially if you like for if you're dating someone who you notice their communication isn't the best, if you can bring it up to them, they respond well, they make an effort, right? Like nothing ever has to be like, absolutely no, or I guess that's more personal. What are your absolute no's? But I would say like almost like an orange flag, something to keep an eye out for. Maybe we need to work on that lack of communication. I would say like power struggles. If you notice like Mm -hmm. our struggles in your relationship dynamic, that's always a tough one. Really persistent criticism, especially when it's not constructive. If it's just like picking at you, I would say that that's like something that you're like, oh, this could like turn unhealthy very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of like the beauty of the early stages of dating, even though everyone hates a talking stage. It's a good time to kind of look out for like, how does the person you're dating respond to stress? How does the person that you're dating respond to conflict? When you notice them in those situations, you can have an idea for what is it going to look like when we're 10 years into a marriage and and that stuff is coming up. So keeping an eye out for, I think, like, is there respect in the relationship? Because if there's respect, you can build the rest of it. So you mentioned power struggle. So Mm -hmm. I I would say I'm more of a, I don't want to say dominant woman, but I definitely will speak my mind. So I think sometimes there are like maybe the more type A or dominant men like it can just be a little challenging because maybe they're not used to a potential partner speaking their mind so with power struggles like do you have any tips or advice on how to kind of overcome that maybe it's just like a mutual thing that will have to be worked out or maybe it just means it's not a good match honestly yes to all of that (laughs) it it, it definitely is a thing you can work out right but i guess if you're going to do that it depends on the other person's level of openness to that right Mm -hmm. you can be a naturally more dominant person you can be a naturally more submissive person that's fine But if you find two people, especially like two dominant personalities in like a relationship together, you're probably going to run into a power struggle. Is there room for ebb and flow there? Or is it sort of like, no, like I'm the dominant one in this relationship and you're going to listen to me because that is just not going to work out long term. You don't want to hear stuff like that in general. That's probably not going to work even if you are more of a submissive. (laughs) I think that that can lead again to those unhealthy relationship dynamics. So that's where like mutual respect becomes really important. Are we able to listen to each other? Are we able to find more of like a middle ground sort of a dynamic instead of being like, yes, all of the power is on one person. Because when that happens, that's almost always a recipe for disaster. Yes. And especially even if like it happens and maybe you don't always like say something that's like 
you're going to get that resentment like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Like you're going to start resenting that person. And then who knows that could come out into a big old blow up situation. So right, right. And you never know like how long, like it could be a couple weeks. It could be it could be 10, 20 years. And you just it really depends on like how ready are you to take a look at some of the dynamics in your relationship and how open are you to talking about it with your partner and how open is your partner to receiving that? Because the best relationships fall somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And just you even mentioning like we talked about this whole time I feel like like relationships do take work and they can't really be one-sided it reminds me of this video that I saw on TikTok but it was a good video <laughs> but it was like an interview I think I hopefully I don't butcher his name but he was like Shaman Durek and he was saying that like people will come to him and they'll be like oh my gosh like I really want a relationship and they're wondering why they haven't found their person and he's like well no you don't like it's because you don't want a relationship you're just looking for companion and he's like if you truly want a relationship, then you have to be willing to be exposed and transparent and to be yes. open to evolution. And a lot of people just want companions because they just want someone to fill that loneliness void. So when it comes time to actually have the relationship part of a relationship, like people kind of crumble or they just don't want to deal with it because that's just not what they want. Like they wanted a companion the whole time. Yes, totally. Yeah. They just like want someone around. <laughs> I love that. I think that's great advice, actually. Relationships often tend to bring up they stir the pot a lot because i always think of it as like relationships end up being kind of like a mirror anything that you're trying to hide anything that you're trying to not work on all of that stuff is going to come up when you're in a relationship because you're in such an intimate dynamic with someone and it's going to bring up all the stuff that you act like doesn't matter so if you are someone if you're listening to this right now <laughs> and you feel like you know you've been brushing off working on some of that personal growth stuff you'll almost Almost always notice that that's what's going to come up and cause fights when you're in a relationship later. So if you can get ahead of that, if you want to be in healthy dynamics, taking a look at where do I fall short? We all fall short somewhere. It's okay that that happens, but you have to be willing to build some of that and be able to grow some of that so that it doesn't come up as an issue in your relationships. Anything you're trying to hide will come back to get you. Yes. I feel like I've heard that before too. Like relationships really are mirrors and they bring up. Well, I guess I've heard, well, I've heard about marriage, but same thing. Like it really will show you right. everything, like you said, that you've been trying to avoid working on and all the things and areas that you need to grow in. So it's like, yeah, relationships are so fun, but they're also like you have to be willing to like see yourself in a light that you might not want to and also just be open to that growth if you like want a long term one. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, you might be one of the lucky few you get into a relationship. You guys both have the same sort of ways of approaching stuff and then you never have to deal with it. That's great. But for most of us, we tend to find ourselves in relationships with people who are going to pull out all of that stuff that we've been hiding. And so instead of looking at it as like, oh my gosh, like why am I why am I dating this person who's like making me have to face this stuff? Be like, wow, I'm in a relationship with someone who is trying to make me face this stuff. You get to have someone who, who wants to walk with you and like who wants to help you become a better version of yourself. So take it with curiosity and be open to the potential of change. Yeah. And like you said earlier, if you're not fighting, that means one foot's out of the door. But also if like you're with someone who's not challenging you and they're kind of just like, yeah, whatever, just 
let's go with the flow for everything. It's like, okay, like, are they really yeah. in this for the long haul? Or is it just like, I'm for the moment kind of vibe? Right, so. right. Totally. So how can couples proactively invest in long-term success of their relationship? And are there any habits or rituals that you think could contribute to a lasting and loving connection? Couples therapy. <laughs> couples therapy is great. Okay, I'll, I'll start with my therapy spiel. And then after that, you know, we'll talk about some stuff you can do without that. But one of my big things with couples therapy, I think a lot of people look at it as like a crisis intervention, like right before they're about to get a divorce or right before they're about to break up. They're like, okay, like let's try this one last thing, right? If you're in any sort of a long-term relationship, start thinking of couples therapy more as something that's preventative to kind of address some of these issues that we've been talking about this whole time. So if you can look at it as something that isn't sort of like a last-ditch effort, then you can start working on some of the skills where, you know, you might be falling short. So outside of therapy, you can also like, for example, make time for some sort of like a relationship check-in. Really healthy couples, it can feel difficult in the beginning. It can feel kind of like robotic, but it's really, really important because in your day-to-day, you're probably not thinking about it, right? You're just kind of living your life, you're going to your job, you're picking up the kids, you're doing whatever, right? But like when you're making intentional time to check in and be like, how's it going between us? And it doesn't have to be long, like 20, 30 minutes once a week, just, and it doesn't have to be like super serious, like we're in a therapy office. It can be like, go sit outside in the backyard, sit by the pool, like have a little conversation and see like, how are we doing? How are you doing? With that being said, prioritizing emotional connection, focusing on like regular expressions of love, right? That's another thing we forget about when we're sort of in like the routine of day to day, but come back to each other, be able to, you know, focus on each other, be vulnerable with one another, developing a culture of forgiveness as well, Mm -hmm. right? That's a big one, especially in long-term relationships. Not everything is going to be happy and perfect all the time. It doesn't have to be happy and perfect all the time, but if you can give yourself and your partner some grace, be able to forgive when necessary, while also looking, like you said earlier, looking for change, right? Sorry, without any sort of change in action is just words. But ultimately, I think prioritizing quality time together is also a really good one when it comes to like investing in long-term success. So not just quantity of time. And I think especially like in long-term relationships, if you're living together, it gets really easy to be like, oh, well, we see each other all the time. We see each other every day. We both work from home. We're constantly around each other. It's very, very different to have like quality time, Mm. actual time where you guys are doing something that makes you feel closer, that makes you feel like you're connecting. Yeah. Just the mention of quality time made me think of love languages like knowing your partner's love language I think also is really helpful and I like that you mentioned just making sure because we can get so busy with the day-to-day routine in life that we forget to like show those expressions of love I don't know where I heard this but it was a long time ago but it just has always stuck with me this person said that I think it was his wife but he said like when they they started a thing that when they got home from work that the first like few minutes they just wouldn't talk it would just be like cuddling like all the things because it's so easy to immediately get home and just start venting to your partner about your work day and everything which you know it's fine but they just wanted to make sure that they like gave themselves time to like connect on that physical level before getting into all those things because it can be so easy to just do that all the time and forget that other part of the connection totally yeah where you just like turn your partner into like a dumping ground yes 
I love that. I think that that's really, really sweet too. And I think like even like after you get home from work, I think another good one is like a couple minutes in the morning before you go to work and then like a couple minutes in the evening before you go to bed, like just making some time for each other. And especially like if you have families and like, you know, pets and all of that, like you're you're going to have a lot of stuff in your day to day that you have to do together, but making time where it's like, this is our time together where no one is interrupting, where we kind of get to connect, even if it's a couple minutes. I think that that is just a really beautiful sentiment. Yes, I totally agree. So I want to talk a little bit just about healing processes and just how we can do that to also foster healthy relationships. So what are some steps that people can take to let go and properly heal a past relationship if it didn't end well? Accepting your emotions instead of fighting against them. I would say also like a big part of healing, giving yourself time. This is why I think that taking a break between relationships can be really good. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, I don't think that getting under someone is the best way to get over someone. It might feel like temporary relief. I think a lot of times it it might make you feel good a little bit in the moment, but in the long term, like it's not helping. It's not helping you to be better. Reflect on the end of your relationship as objectively as you can as well. It's really easy to just get caught up in the anger or the sadness of it all, but like take a look at you know, where could my partner have done better? So that's something I can look out for in the future. Where could I have done better? So that's something I can work on. I would say like rebuilding your identity outside of your relationship, right? Being in a relationship, especially long-term relationships, you, I think naturally this happens a little bit. You kind of get caught up into it and you become like someone's partner. That's a big part of your identity. But then when you're single, I think one of the hard parts of like coming out of a long-term relationship is like, oh, like on my own now, (laughs) like what does it mean to be me without being someone's you know, girlfriend or wife or whatever. So being able to look at like, what is important to me? What do I value? How can I live my life kind of according to those values? And I would say one last thing, don't idealize your relationship with your ex. Don't look at it and be like, oh, but it was like so perfect. And we we're so in love and we we're doing all these things, right? Like all of those things are great. But again, I think this is like what I mean when I say look at it objectively, like were there parts that were really hard? Were there parts that weren't working for you? Were there parts that made you feel not so good? Is that how you would want to be treated for the rest of your life. So if you can look at it more objectively instead of sort of like putting it on a pedestal, then you can take something away from it and apply it to your future. Yeah, I really like that a lot because I do think that there are certain times of the year, I mean, in my opinion, that we really do put an ex relationship on a pedestal like Valentine's or the holidays because we see all this love around us and it's kind of like, okay, well, let me remember those good times. And like you said, it's really easy to just idealize that and just negate all the other times that maybe you weren't the best for you. So I love that you brought that up. So this question, it really does tie into the one that I just asked, but also like how can we make sure that we are not hating or holding on to the resentment that we have towards someone who hurt us in a relationship? Mm, That's a good question. I would say like, again, like accepting some of that emotion is a good way to go about it. But then also just like trying to shift your perspective, understand as hard as it is, right? And again, there's some situations where this might not be applicable, but try to understand the other person's perspective. And that doesn't mean like condoning their actions or anything that happened or anything like that. But essentially, just how can you look at the situation or the relationship more broadly? Again, I think like holding on to resentment or hatred for someone, it is kind of like a band-aid. It again, it feels good in the moment. It makes you feel really, really justified. Yeah, they like really sucked and they did all this stuff. But when we do that, while that can feel good in the short term, in the long run, it's not really doing anything for you, especially if you're looking to be in a more healthy relationship. So your exes, they're your past for a reason. 
let them stay in the past and instead yes. focus on your future, right? Doesn't mean that you have to like them. It doesn't even mean you have to come away being like, they were a great person. You don't have to, you don't have to feel anything towards them. You don't have to feel good about them. You don't have to feel hate towards them. Just let them be in the past and focus on what do I want in my future? Focusing on the future. I love that. But I know something that personally helped me was just realizing, especially if like someone who would hurt me, I had to realize that they just were not capable of loving me the way that I needed to be loved. And that's okay. Because just as you said, like that was just an experience I had. I can reflect on it and move on. But also I personally like to think that everything happens for a reason. So maybe at one point in time, I thought maybe that was my person, but something happened and and I figured out they weren't and perfect. Now I'm closer to my actual person. So that's kind of just the way that I look at it. And I know that's easy to say when you're on the other side of healing. It's not always so easy when you're in it. But I think just trying to get to that point or just keep that in the back of your mind is so helpful. Totally. I really love that. I, I remember, I can't remember where I heard or, or saw this, but the idea that like holding on to someone that isn't good for you, it's like standing between you and someone who could be really good for you. So like letting yes. them go, like, like you said, could like get you closer to something that you do want. And it's okay to be like, we had really good memories. We had good experiences together. Like it doesn't take away from any of the good in order to say like, I can't be with that person anymore because I want more. So exactly. (laughs) Yes. And it just reminds me, I know my, this is such like a cliche old saying, but my mom would always say this about friendships, but she would say Mm -hmm. some people come for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And that's literally the same with our dating relationships too. Like whatever the reason or the season was like it doesn't mean they're gonna be that lifetime partner and that's okay they served the purpose and you serve the purpose for them and then like you said you can move on and you know see what else is out there and that's okay yeah a reason or a season i love that yes and then she's like not everyone is gonna be with you for a lifetime and that's okay yes yes so i like that too (laughs) something that literally i quote all the time and i just feel so cliche but i'm i'm glad that you that was new for you i'm happy about yeah i'm gonna start telling clients that (laughs) yes please she would love that. (laughs) Okay. So how do past experiences and traumas impact our ability to form and sustain meaningful relationships? And are there any strategies that can really help someone overcome those hurdles? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think past experiences and especially like you said, like traumatic experiences, Mm -hmm. they're going to make an impact on you. You could be like the most healed self growth focused person ever. But like when you go through difficult experiences, they sort of they leave an impact, right? Trust issues, self-esteem issues, fear of vulnerability, like we talked about in the beginning. All of that stuff is going to come up when you go through difficult experiences. And I think what helps is knowing that if you can, if you're aware that, hey, this this kind of like affected me a little bit, then you can try to work through it instead of just like going around it and acting like it's not there. So I would say if you're coming out of a relationship that was difficult or something that, you know, did leave you with some trauma, focus on personal growth in that time. Focus on like, how did this thing affect me? Realistically, like what were the impacts that it left? and try to make an active effort to not let this bleed over into your new relationships. Again, like we were talking about earlier, like I think that's why taking space between relationships can be helpful to really be able to reflect and be like, you know, what did this lead me with? What do I want to take from this past relationship and move it into my new relationships? And what do I want to leave behind? You don't have to act exactly the same in every relationship. So you shouldn't act exactly the same in every relationship. So being able to look at, did this play a role in like, 
who I feel like I am? And if so, is that something that I want to hold on to? I like that. And I do think that when you kind of sit and reflect on those different experiences, it helps you understand what your triggers may be. So that's even something that you can communicate to your partner. Like, hey, like this is a trigger for me. I'm working on it. But just so they know. So I think like well, you've said, most of this episode, communication is so key. And I think the more we can communicate those things about ourselves, it just gives our partner a better understanding of how we are. And I know there are people who are going to hear that and be like, oh, well, you shouldn't tell your partner everything because they'll just use it against you. Seen some advice out there like that. And I yeah. get it. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, how are you going to navigate your relationship? Like kind of under the fear of, oh, they might use this against me. Or are you going to just try to have a healthy relationship and see if it works? Absolutely. Yes, you're so right. I, I've seen so much stuff about that where it's like, oh, if I tell them about this trigger, then they're going to use it to hurt me. If someone is doing that, goodbye. <laughs> that they're not the right person for you, right? Like that's not a sign of a healthy partner. A good healthy partner for you is going to hear that and be like, oh, you know what? I'm really going to try my best to make an active effort to avoid triggering you. And again, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to manage your own triggers. Your partners can't do that for you, but mm. a good healthy one We'll keep that in mind to try to avoid pressing that button. So yes. if you find, if you're in a relationship with someone who's using your triggers against you, orange flag, maybe even a red flag, <laughs> that's not your person. Yes. So just to round out the conversation, do you have any advice to help the single people out here who are dating and just feeling like, oh my gosh, like this is a lot. Like what advice would you give them on their dating journey and just how they can go on their journey to find a healthy relationship? Yeah. What a great question. I would lo <laughs> I'd love to know. I would <laughs> say I think one of the best things about experiencing heartbreak or disappointment or anything like that, like in relationships, if anything, it allows you to gain clarity about what you don't want, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would say give yourself time to understand what it is that you do want and look at what you're doing. So identifying your needs. I think we talked about that a little bit earlier too. Identifying yeah. what it is that you need out of a relationship. Your needs are going to be very different from someone that you're dating. So if you can figure out what you need, then you can appropriately communicate that with them. And then also, I think one of the greatest parts of being single is you really have a lot of time to, to look at how do I want want to work on myself? What areas of you know, like personal growth do I want to work on? You can do those things in a relationship too, obviously. But like when you're single, like it really gives you a good amount of time, and especially when you're coming out of a relationship. You can look at like, were there parts of myself or were there versions of myself in that relationship that I didn't like? Were there were there behaviors that I engaged in that don't really align with my values or the things that I think are important? And if you can identify those, then like we've said this whole episode, self-awareness is so key. So if you can if you can figure out what those are, then you can start working on changing them and you can identify them in other people a little bit easier. So if you start to notice those things in someone that you're talking to. Keep that in mind and see if, you know, if that's something that could or if you want it to be different. But, you know, when you're going into new relationships, like lead with curiosity, right? Just be authentic with whoever you're dating. And like at the end of the day, have fun. Dating is fun. So yes. allow yourself to like embrace the side of it that's like meeting a new person and getting to experience life with a new person. Exactly. It's like let go of some of the pressure of finding the right person, all the things and just enjoy dating. And it's that my friend gave me that I absolutely love. She said that after her dates, she would journal how the date went. Like actually she would start before the date about how she felt, about how his communication was before the date 
and then just like she would journal after. So then when she goes to look back in a month, she can see how she actually felt and she's not going to start idealizing certain things and forget. Ah. Oh, actually, I felt this way in this date. So maybe I'm just idealizing. And so she really got to know like if she actually wanted to be in a relationship with this person. I love that. That is such a great idea. Oh my gosh, I wish I had that for years and years. That would be so cool. Because that's like such a, I mean, I'm like such a big advocate for journaling, I think. And especially if you can let go of because I think a lot of us struggle with performative sort of qualities and so I think one of the things about journaling that is cool is like if you can let go of feeling like you need to be a certain version of yourself you can be really honest with yourself about like like even like your friend does you know like how was I feeling in that moment what are things that I noticed about myself what are things that I noticed about this person that I'm talking to and then like you can you can have an actual physical record of, of what you were feeling at the time as opposed to just like our memories which can sometimes get foggy <laughs> Yes, we can play tricks on ourselves. I, I swear. Like, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> okay. So, oh my gosh. I, again, I love having you on. I'm so grateful that you came on for this conversation. So where can we find you to follow you and potentially work with you? Yeah. So I, you can follow me on Instagram. My handle is at talk therapy with Nina. And you can always Google me, Nina Sanyal, Arizona. And I have like a Psychology Today page. I have a good therapy page, all that good stuff. So if you are in Arizona and you are looking for counseling, feel free to look me up there and you can you can contact me from there and we can set something up. Yes. All right. Again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been so great. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for tuning into this week's episode. If you really loved the episode and you felt like it resonated with you, be sure to share the love and share the episode with a friend. Also, if you could take a minute and head to the review section wherever you listen to your podcast and leave me a review, letting me know what you're loving about these episodes and which topics you want to hear next. That way, I can make sure that I continue creating episodes that you love. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. Until next week, bye, grown girl gang.